for the people that do want it, you know, that's what we're doing with Causing a Stir, making sure that they get the resources, tools for their tool belt, expanding their knowledge and letting them know about those type of opportunities. If you're working in hospitality and you feel like there's something missing, then maybe that's your cue to create that thing that's missing. And then in the process, you're able to bring other people along with you as well. Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. This is your host, Tristan Stevenson. On today's episode, I am speaking with Alexis Brown and Shannon Mustafa. Alexis is the co-founder of Causing a Stir, a Chicago-based organization that aims to fix the lack of inclusion and career advancement in hospitality in underrepresented communities. Shannon is a New York-based bartender and consultant and rum expert and the author of Tiki, Modern Tropical Cocktails, available in all good bookstores. On this episode, we discuss the representation of women and people of color in the bar industry. We look at how things have changed over the past 10 years, what work still needs doing. We also discuss the female bartenders that have inspired Alexis and Shannon. And I ask them for their tips for anyone starting out in their career in this industry. We also delve into the various projects that Alexis and Shannon are currently working on and some of their past projects too, as well as what the future holds for them both. Hope you enjoy. All right, I am joined today by Lex Brown and Shannon Mustafa. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Tristan, good to see you. Alexis, good to meet you and be able to chat today. Yeah, it's great. Cool. So um, we're going to start this episode as we start all episodes now with some quickfire questions. Don't worry, it's not like a general knowledge quiz. It's just uh, a kind of rapid way of, of kind of getting to know some of your preferences in and out of the bar world, as you'll come to see. Um, so because there's two of you, we're going to take it in turns. All right. So Lex, maybe I'll start with you and then the second question will automatically roll to you Shannon then it will go back and forward okay until we run out of questions all right and it's one word answers only okay that's important if you if you feel like you need to sort of justify any of your answers after the quick fire that's absolutely fine <laughs> all right so starting with you Lex let's go cake or pie cake Shannon Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings Game of Thrones uh, Lex, tequila or mezcal? Tequila. Shannon, Jamaica or Barbados? Jamaica. Lex, favorite breakfast cereal? Um, <laughs> it's losing me. I'm gonna just go with Apple Jacks. <laughs> All right. Shannon, what's for dinner tonight? Handmade spinach gnocchi. Whoa, pretty good. Not one word, but I'll let you get away with it because that sounds tasty. Uh, Lex, favorite U.S. city besides the one you live in? New Orleans. Uh, Shannon, text or phone call? Phone call. Lex, kettle one or Ciroc? <laughs> kettle one. <laughs> All right. Shannon, Talisker or Lagavulin? Langavulin. Well done. We got through it. Oh, dear. Right, good. Um, I'm, the quick fires are great because it's a bit of an icebreaker, but let's break the ice slightly further. Um, and maybe you guys could both give us uh, in a bit of an introduction into who you are, what your backgrounds are, and what you're doing right now. Alexis Brown. I am a bartender mixologist, uh, uh, industry educator, um, 
adversity advocate. Uh, I'm a ad, you, that's me now. So I'm, I just try to start now and then I go back. Um, so I had experience. I've, I've been living and working in Chicago all my life. Uh, in bars and restaurants, obviously 21 and up. But for the last like 10 to, uh, 10 to 12 years, um, I, I've just been kind of moving moving about, getting getting furthering my education, and now in turn uh, reaching back and giving education. So I've worked in a lot of different restaurants and bars, uh, nightclubs and lounges, working at very distinguished bars, some of the 50 world's best, like Aviary and The Drifter, and learning cocktail culture, uh, to working at like independent restaurants and doing consulting with them, uh, like MV. Uh, chemistry and a couple others here in Chicago. So very diverse background in, in mixology, bartending, building bars, consulting, and now kind of like uh, working in education. Fantastic. That's a full range of uh, roles across the industry, I would say. Um, cool. Well, we'll get get back to um, making a stone and all that sort of stuff in due course. Shannon, um, give us your uh, bio, if you would, please. Yes, uh, Shannon Mustafa here. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, where I've done most of my hospitality work over the better part of the last decade. Um, currently, I work as a spirits educator and consultant to brands. Uh, but the new thing for me right now is um, I'm getting involved in drinks journalism. I'm the author of Tiki Modern Tropical Cocktails that came out in 2019 with Rizzoli. And, you know, it's received a really warm reception. Out of that experience, in addition to being involved in consulting on rum, I also launched a pop-up called Woman Hutiki, and our activations have been mounted in various environments. Some of them overtly tiki bars, some of them are a little more rum-focused or nautical-themed, and we had to take a break during the pandemic, but we came back last summer. We've done four activations since then, all very well attended and well loved. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've kind of taken up the pen again in earnest. That's kind of it for now. I'm just trying to get in front of people, educate them more on the rum category as well as on cocktails in general. Good stuff. So both of you really shifting towards educators as your sort of overarching roles in the industry. Yeah, I think it's imperative. Uh... You know, there haven't been a lot of, you know, uh, women of color that um, are in those type of education uh, or teaching, um, instructing positions. I know that when I was going through things like Bar Smarts and uh, with the USBG and things like that, there wasn't a lot of representation. So I knew that coming into this, that was one of my goals. When I started the program at Gladys was that there just wasn't a lot of information on rum or access to good rum. And so I didn't think the category was really getting the recognition and uh, respect that it deserved. So when I got my first brand job with Denizen, uh, I created a, a rum tasting program that involved different pours because I wanted to be agnostic. And I thought that the more educated the trade and consumer was about the category, the more they'd be able to get out of it. And, you know, I was seeing an appetite for this information that wasn't really being met by what a lot of brands were doing at the time. Not to mention, I just love talking about rum. Uh, it's kind of like my favorite topic. And it was just, you know, really fun to see the light bulbs go off in people's heads and just 
guide them through what appears to be a kind of intimidating category because there's a lot of, I would say, uh, contention or reticence about the best way to, to categorize it or explain it. And I've tried various methods, but I think the best way to learn is just to taste it and talk about it. And for you, Shannon, um, being in New York, like what was it like in the earlier parts of your career in terms of um, people of color, women of color in sort of educator roles or in senior bar positions sort of operating like educators or trainers? I didn't really see a lot of it. Um, I did most of my work initially in Brooklyn and kind of like smaller neighborhood oriented sort of establishments. You know, I didn't really start working in Manhattan proper until after the publication of my book. And I, you know, have to say for lack of a better word, had a, a bit more cachet. But, you know, the only woman of color that I could look up to at that time was Miss Frankie Marshall, who was known for working in projects that involved individuals such as uh, Julie Reiner, Megan Dorman. I can't recall the name of this bar, but I think it was like in 2010, give or take, a group of women bartenders came together and made this concept. And I'll you know, send a follow-up note about it once I see what it was. But um, I got it at a time where women were beginning to um, assert more leadership roles in the industry. Again, Miss Frankie Marshall was there, Julie Reiner, uh, Audrey Sanders with Pegu Club. I think they really set a good tone for how women could grow in the industry, but I just didn't see many women of color present in leadership or in education. Now contrast that to now, I think almost every bar program I go to, you see a fair amount of representation. And I don't know when that, you know, we started to turn that corner, but yeah, definitely like 10 years ago was, was night and day for sure. Yeah. I would definitely agree. Um, I was at a training, and that was my first introduction to Frankie Marshall. Uh, my other, the other person, or <clears throat> like woman of color or black woman that kind of I saw in, like I said, a uh, instructor or uh, you know teaching a class um, on any topic was also Lynn House. Um, met Lynn House in Miami at a, a bar institute. You know, when I saw her up there, I didn't know anyone. I'd never been introduced to anyone. hadn't had hadn't had any of these people come and do any trainings or anything at any of my bars. So it was like, wow. And then when I heard that she was from Chicago, well, she lives in Chicago, and uh, you know, she was working with the with uh, Heaven Hills for so long, and that she developed certain things. I was like really inspired. So just I know that if that lit up for me I was like I I was inspired so I wanted to kind of like follow in her footsteps a little bit and I started you know making sure that anything she was speaking at I, I attended making sure that anything that um you know I saw her um involved in I wanted to be involved in whether it was cocktail competitions or anything it, um and like like you said Shannon now you know uh there are women that are leading great bar programs that are, um, you know, I think that the representation has grown. I think that it, the lens kind of widened a bit um, over some years. And I and I do want to even, you know, credit credit that to the work and work of a lot of individuals 
in that 2016 kind of like mark, uh, that's when I think a lot of people are being more vocal about um, these things. Like we all knew it and we would talk about it with it amongst ourselves and, uh, you know, uh, share, sh share uh, instances. But when those instances and those conversations started getting put in on bigger platforms, um, I think that that's kind of where the shift happened. Honestly, I, I have to say it was probably around that 2015, 2016 mark um, that things started changing uh, and people started being more vocal about these issues and then creating more bigger platforms for people to um, just showcase themselves. And, you know, while we're on the topic of that shift, I think that one of the things that really pushed it along, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, it's not something I talk about very much, so, you know, I'm kind of, you know, improvising a little bit here, but when I look at the work I was doing at Gladys and then the subsequent work I did around my book, I attribute social media and the exchange of information rapidly and the ability to share what you're doing for people to see it and to get engaged with it has been very helpful for me and not by design by any means. So do you think that social media and people being able to chat, even if they're not in the same room, like really did anything to, to make it easier for women to become more visible and influential in the bar industry? More, absolutely, yeah. Um, like I said, starting out, um, you know, when I just started my journey, um, being educated, uh, and and taking hold of that, um, I literally used a hashtag. Anything that I anything that I uh, was doing, I would hashtag serving life behind bars. This is what serving life behind bars is is like. Uh, I'm dedicating. I'm dedicated to this, and that hashtag literally was like a archive of everything that you know that I did or anything that I considered you know um, you know just a, just an opportunity. And it took off. And that is how, like, just from someone clicking on that, we were able to connect or just them using it, you know, you were able to. And I definitely think that the Internet, you know, we just I think that we widened our reach, like you said, and we just widened our reach, widened our visibility, um, depending on how you use it, because uh, causing a stir really kind of came out of a social media kind of push. Um, and where we were having a luncheon conversation in Chicago, took that and created a Facebook group. Now, people from all over the world are coming in and having these conversations and being part of the conversation to where, you know, like you said, information is being transferred all, all through the waves. So, yeah, I, I definitely think... Uh, the internet helped with that. But the internet has always kind of been around. It's just that we we really learned how to use social media to uh, expand our brands and, um, like you said, use it as a platform and connect with people. I just want to say, it's like, I've always used it as a way to just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> and apparently people found it interesting. I think the great thing about social media, there's a lot of bad things, obviously. We won't go into that. But one of the, the great things about it is the way it allows sort of cultural ideas to disseminate rapidly. Like if you think about the way a library works, you get lots of information in there and you get bits of culture, but it's extremely difficult to share it and to consume it, um, especially together. 
Um, whereas with social media, these ideas are flicking around the place so fast. And so it just fast tracks sort of cultural ideas and memes and things like that. When I say memes, I mean cultural ideas rather than kind of funny pictures with text added over the top. Um, and uh, so, so these sort of revolutions and these changes can happen so quickly. But um, it's, it's interesting what you're both saying about how, how quickly things have changed or how much things have changed in the last 10 years or, or so. Um, so based on where we're at at the moment in terms of representation and visibility behind the bar for women and for people of color, you know, how much further do we need to go? What needs to happen next? I think things are moving in a good direction. Um, but, uh, you know, there's always room for growth. So um, I think that we're on a good track. I think that um, a good way to keep expanding is, you know, asking for referrals, asking for, um, you know, who, who would you like to see on, you know, asking your audiences, like, do you know any great people? Do you know uh, anyone that's doing anything amazing? Like having that engagement um, is important uh, just and, and really reaching out, vetting and giving out more opportunities. Um, it's just a continuous wheel of uh just it, it, it has to just keep going we can't stop because like oh we made some changes good job guys but it has to keep going you know yeah and to your point i i think that it's really important for us to kind of keep our eyes out for new and emerging talent or maybe talent that is you know fairly well established in their particular area or niche but maybe could use some networking opportunities or connection to something that will give them more exposure so I've always been a big fan of if I notice somebody doing something interesting, you know, trying to find out where they want to go next. And if I'm able to make that connection, you know, be it in person or via email, just, you know, getting them to that next step of meeting someone or a new audience that could um, support their work. In other words, you know, my work involves not just like what I'm doing. But, you know, an integral part of it is like finding out who's doing what and making sure that they get ahead as well. If it looks like they're doing something that is relevant and adds value. Can you actually elaborate a little bit more on um, the sort of work that you do with bars, Shannon, um, your consultancy work and, and what sort of programs you're um, installing to sort of develop their skill sets? Yeah. My consultancies have a tendency to fall in either one or two categories that I alluded to earlier. You know, one is where I have an ongoing relationship and the client will get, you know, a program built out and then I'm available, uh, you know, on an ongoing basis for texts and phone calls, even without a fee per se. And in exchange for that, maybe if I have an activation or I need a location for a shoot or to do some R&D or whatever, or to host an event with a brand, the bar is able to make that happen easily. So, you know, one such example is a run-focused bar that's based here in Brooklyn that I helped set up two years ago. And um, I don't do recipes for them any longer, but I chat with the owner regarding ideas for her business. And sometimes I'll create an activation for her. Or if I know of a brand that is looking for a place on a menu or back bar and I think it's good liquid for a program, then I'll get them connected and start that conversation. Um, there are other examples where I literally work with the team for three to four months. 
to develop a menu concept, go in, train them, you know, offer tweaks to the drinks, but you know, it's a shorter term relationship, if you will. It's, it's more of a fling, but I always keep the door open. Um, so again, as I mentioned, I try to do at least one of those a quarter. And in some cases, it makes sense to have an ongoing relationship, depending on how big the company is and how much input they would benefit from. And some clients have multiple properties and they just want a menu and then I'm out, you know. But I, I like to keep the the lines of communication open because again, um, if I know of a new product or some talent that's in proximity to that bar or program and I think they're a good fit, you know, I like to make that introduction, you know, it's not just me coming in doing my job and leaving. But if I see some way I can help them to continue to grow, I, I try to seize that as well. You're like a one-woman network yourself, Shannon. <laughs> I mean, I try to keep it on the low, but yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, I just feel like... <laughs> Don't like to brag about it, but you know, that's kind of my, my gig. It's something that comes kind of intuitively. I, I used to be a, a, you know, a dorm manager. They call it a residential assistant in college. And I used to have students flocking to my floor from the other's floors because I had all the good programming, like, you know... A lot of our rates would be like, we're going to do a pizza night. And I'm like, no, nah, man, we're going to buy out the art house cinema and go as a group and watch Pulp Fiction. Or, you know, I'll run like a weekend film festival of like Japanese manga and, you know, order Indian food or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I love the community building aspect and just putting people in touch with each other and seeing where it goes from there. Lex, perhaps you want to talk a little bit about your networking and causing a stir. You mentioned it a little bit when um, I asked you to introduce yourself, but perhaps maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on the work you're doing with that. Yes, yes. So um, I always think that there's room for growth and room for more opportunities and bridging the gap between, you know, uh, the traditional or the bartenders that have been always getting opportunities. I think that um, causing a stir kind of, is that platform that is doing the educational pieces and then my company serving life behind bars we are staffing those individuals making sure that they kind of have a place to go or have a space to uh, practice or extend their 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 knowledge and experience because um, a lot of times um you know even with my position now I go to different accounts and they're like, we're short staffed or we need more trained individuals. So taking the taking from our students, from our groups that we're causing a start and kind of utilizing, you know, the, the staffing company to extend uh, uh, resources to not only not only for them, but also for the accounts. So, right. So causing a start is sort of the training part of it. And then um life behind bars is like almost like recruitment in a sense it's like getting them into the right jobs yes yes so causing the stir is just more so educational based giving doing workshops to expand uh knowledge and expand um skills um so in, in the past we have done like fresh ingredient um workshops and showing how you can use fresh ingredients in cocktails a lot of the one thing about Chicago that I, I love is that it is so diverse, but it's, it's also very segregated into its own kind of like communities. And those communities are um, 
some of them do lack resources or just education in general. Um, there's not to say, and it always was funny. Um, sorry, I'm digressing, but it's always funny when I hear people say like, there aren't a lot of like black bartenders. There aren't a lot of black bartenders. And that's like so not true because they are, they just work in different types of places. There's not a lot of um, cock, black cocktail bartenders, if you want to think of it in that way, or when we think about, you know, defining what a mixologist is uh, in that space. Um, yes, I think that there are people, but the only thing that differentiates, you know, a bartender who works at a, like Duke's Lounge on 79th Street that's, uh, you know, pouring just uh, uh, cocktails on the rocks or making, uh, you know, pre-mixed margaritas. It's just that education and access to resources. So for the people that do want it, you know, that's what we're doing with Causing a Stir, making sure that they get the resources, tools for their tool belt, um, letting them know about those type of opportunities because, you know, I had to do a, a lot of digging to even get into, you know, all of these different um, specialized trainings and um, certification programs and opportunities to, you know, get into cocktail competitions. So, you know, access to that information was very limited and we try to use Causing a Stir to bridge the gap for that. Then after they've gone through these trainings and they're like, hey, you know, I don't know where to start. I want to, you know, get into, you know, uh, other aspects of uh, or expanding my skills. We use Serving Life Behind Bars to staff events. So if brands come to us or come to me and they need, um, you know, they want a diverse team and they're like, we can't find good, you know, good bartenders or can you uh, maybe refer refer or staff some of these events. We use the people that have gone through the Causing to Start training to, to do that um, for, for that. I acquire all these skills to give them back and expanding my knowledge and the more people that I can touch, I'm always trying to. So um, I always put that out there and I always kind of extend myself as a resource. Yeah, I, th I think it's so bang on with... Um... Well, what you're describing is you're saying, you know, education is the access point to equality of opportunity, right? If you, if you, if you want to get like more female bartenders, like, you know, working as top mixologists or people of color, then it's all about education level, right? And then, you know, if you've got, if everyone has the same level of education, then it's just, it comes down to just work ethic after that, right? You, you know, are you personable? Are you working hard? Do you turn up on time and all that sort of stuff? But the education component's critical at that sort of basic level, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, even like, I, I'm thinking, as I'm thinking about it here and just even considering Shannon, right? Uh, Shannon is very category, you know, your category based where rum is your thing. That's your thing, uh, tropical, Caribbean, that, that's your kind of like lane. Even you knowing that that was something that you wanted to explore more, like on a more just kind of streamlined um, space, you know, to even get to that point, you had to be knowledgeable about that, right? You had to be introduced to that. Some people never even find their lane because they weren't even introduced to it. So, you know, with those kind of like programs and introducing people to like, you know that it is kind of like bigger than this, you know, bigger than just two things in a glass. Uh, you know that it is bigger than, um, you know, just your bar. Uh, I tell people all the time, being a bartender and taking my taking my craft seriously and diving in and educating myself has opened me to so many opportunities to learn about the world, 
to learn about new cultures. I, that was my opportunity to travel. I didn't get a passport until I had to, until I got invited to go to Mexico with a um, with a company, and that was my first time even getting a passport. This point regarding the role that education can play in a bartender being able to you know, get the most out of their career opportunities or identify the opportunities in the first place is, um, I, I think I kind of came from a, a slightly different angle in that, yes, I did bar smarts, you know, before I ended up working with Gladys Caribbean, but my experience with education is that, you know, I was given an opportunity to run a very category-specific bar program and realized that there wasn't a lot of education on this particular category and that if I wanted that uh, to succeed and if I wanted to engage the guest and the team, you know, I'd have to learn as much as I could. And as I was searching for resources and not seeing them, I just, you know, took it upon myself, you know, with the help of other like-minded bartenders to start offering classes free of charge to industry in Brooklyn. We call it the Kane Club Collective. We just started creating seminars and we wanted to spread this enthusiasm for it. So I would, I mean, that's my way of saying that, yeah, um, you know, if you're working in hospitality and you feel like there's something missing, then maybe that's your cue to create that thing that's missing. And then in the process, you able to bring other people along with you as well. Mm. I think um, opportunity kind of comes in various guises, doesn't it? Sometimes it's sort of born out of necessity. Um, like you say, you you were developing a run program and there wasn't a lot of information there available and you needed to obviously keep your job <laughs> and do it to the best of your ability so you get paid. So you start developing it yourself, right? You do your own independent research that's kind of, you know, there's, there's probably a certain curiosity angle there as well because it's feeding like, you know, your, your curiosity and your maybe a little bit of creativity as well. But it's born out of necessity, right? Whereas I think other opportunities come purely out of curiosity. You know, you really have to go and hunt them down, don't you? You know, it's not something that maybe is going to be presented to you like, you know, here you go. Here's a chance to do something or, you know, behave differently or try a different take a different branch on the road of life you know sometimes you have to seek out these opportunities um and then i guess you get combinations of both as well where you know there's there's a need for something and then you can innovate based off that need and that's the sort of curious um version of it so yeah do you, do you agree with that or am i just talking absolute rubbish no i i think there's multiple ways to get to opportunities you know so Curiosity definitely plays a, a big role in how people end up asking, like, well, where is it? Or, you know, why can't I find it? Or what should I learn? Or, again, like, what's missing? Like, what do I need in order to, you know, be able to participate in a, a meaningful way in the industry? What advice would you give to um, a younger, well, it doesn't even need to be younger, a bartender who feels sort of underrepresented or marginalized for whatever reason, wherever they are at the moment, what do you, what do you think can be a proactive changes that they can make to their environment and their circumstance? I would say just embrace being yourself. Like don't don't feel so concerned about representation per se, because 
everybody has a unique perspective to bring to an environment. And again, some people have different levels of comfort with feeling like they fit in or they don't fit in. You know, like my family grew up in a few parts of the country as I was growing up. My dad was ex-military, so I've had experiences of going to predominantly black schools. I've also had experiences of being like the only black person in my class. Like the college I attended, just for context, out of like a class of 300 odd freshmen, there were only four African-American students. For some people that was difficult and off-putting. For me, I was just like, okay, well, whatever. It's a specialized school. So that's just what the way it is. And I just focused intently on doing the best work that I could and just making it less about, you know, representation and more about my work. That's what I focused on. I, I mean, I think that's really admirable. And I, I think it probably shows in your body of work, Shannon. Um, and I do think, you know, you know, I mean, I'm obviously in a fairly privileged position in that I'm a, a white male. And I don't, you know, my, you know, we don't suffer from underrepresentation in the UK here. But, you know, I do believe that a strong work ethic will get you a hell of a long way. And it might not break down all those barriers, uh, you know, that, that exist and still exist right now. But it will certainly get you get you further than, you know, a bad work ethic or, you know, um, kind of resting on laurels or, you know, it's there. there's a lot of opportunity out there for everyone, I think. Um, if if we if we you know really commit to work and and take opportunities when they come come around. I was going to say, I mean, full disclosure, it's not like I was naive as to what was going on in the New York bar world when you know I started working. I would say in like 2010. So I just took the the work that I could get, and now it just doesn't seem to be much of an issue. But at the time, I think it was. So I definitely agree with Shannon. Like, be yourself. Um, be yourself, um, work at your craft, uh, hone, hone those skills, um, and then find your lane and find your voice. Um, I always give some reference materials uh, that really try to talk about more so life and humanity and hospitality, like the roots of it, and understanding why you're in this position, because as much as you know, you should focus on yourself. Uh, our roles and what we do is very much a service, an act of service. Um, in order to give good high levels of service, you have to understand yourself. You have to understand who you are and why you're why you're doing it. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of times, uh, I give because I mean I talk to a lot of pe- a lot of up and coming people who feel underrepresented, and I always give book references to, for them to help understand hospitality a little bit so one that I always give uh is a time for new dreams so it's uh by like a philosopher uh, uh by name Ben Okree uh, uh and he's a writer from uh Nigeria and he has like some excerpts that talk just about hospitality and like the roots of hospitality and like understanding it but a lot of it is understanding yourself right it's understanding like why you do what you do problem solving, 
uh, critical thinking, all of these types of things. So you have to understand yourself, be yourself, be the best version of yourself. And if you put that out, you'll get uh, the representation that you're looking for because you're going to be an outstanding citizen of human and advocate for humanity. So you'll stand out regardless in, in any role that you're put in. Um, and then with after that piece and furthering and learning everything about the industry that you can, I mean, you'll you'll get you'll get where you're going. You'll get where you need to go. That's basically just a far more eloquent way of saying what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> just be an outstanding human being. Yeah. So that's advice for for bartenders. Actually, you know something that just occurred to me as well. We, you know, we were talking about how you know things are moving in a positive direction, and that do you know there's there is much better representation these days. Um, over here, over here in the UK, especially female bartenders, I think we could do a lot more work with people of color in, in like, you know, high level mixology roles and that sort of thing. But anyway, what I was getting to is um, the other way I've seen like, you know, so much the representation change massively is in um, female producers, distillers, that sort of thing, brewers, whatever, uh, winemakers. Like, it's just nuts. Like, I remember when I first started in the industry, 20 years ago um you know a if a brand had a female master distiller they would make them it would they just it'd be the whole sort of usp of the brand would be like oh we've got a woman making this product um but you can't get away with that now because uh, so so many products are being made by women and you know I, obviously we still hear about it um so it's it's not so normal that it's um you know not spoken about or not not celebrated because actually, in a way, we want to get to the point where it's not even remarkable that a woman is making a whiskey, right? It should just be, okay, that's fine, right? I guess, you know, ultimately the proof is in the pudding. There's some fantastic tasting whiskeys out there being made by women. But, I mean, I would say to kind of extend that thought, you know, there's been a history of women producing spirits. I'm talking about, like, in the American South in particular. You know, a lot of plantations and farms... Ah had distilleries attached to them to maximize the profits of whatever they were growing. And, uh, you know, slaves were often involved in the production of those spirits, and sometimes they were women. Um, likewise, consider that, you know, there's this, um, this history in America of our initial bar spaces were usually linked to inns and hotels. So a lot of people who are staffing, you know, the desk at the end, and I'm talking about the colonial end of the 18th century to 19th century, were women. You know, they were the original barmaids serving up simple things like um, old fashions, juleps, things of that nature. And, you know, it wasn't until you started to see the American bar evolve into like a more standalone establishment where maybe it was men only permitted in there. And of course, you had male bartenders working in those environments, but like, in the infancy of, you know, drinks being served in public in the Americas, there are a lot of women involved as well. Yeah, well, I mean, this is true over here, certainly, as well. As well. And, um, I mean, you know, it sort of makes sense. If you go back far enough, the role of the woman in a household, and, of course, you know, pubs really evolved from household, households. They were public houses, houses that the public could visit. In, in households, you know, the job of pretty much all of the, you know, food and drink preparation was assigned to the woman. And that went not just for kind of like putting together a risotto 
as 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 you know we do today but we're talking about you know um i don't know making yogurt or cheese or uh baking bread or brewing beer you know this is where the term brewster comes from um women you know women were in charge of all of this sort of stuff and so Although in history we read all about the men who were drinking these products, a lot of the time it's actually women who were there behind the production of them in the first place and service of. Thank you both for coming on. Um, it's been a really uh, insightful conversation. It's great to hear about what the two of you are doing um, as educators to help make this a better industry for everyone, really. So thank you. Oh, it was a pleasure. And Alexis, it was wonderful to learn more about your work. And it's just good to see what you've been able to accomplish. And it, it inspires me. And I got to level my game up now. Oh, no, no, no. You are the one that's inspiring me. You write in books. I still have your book uh, that I got from Bar Convent, Brooklyn, about two years ago. Uh, that's signed in my, in my on my bookshelf. So uh, every, every day I pass it, I look at it and I'm like... This is inspiring. Now, you're in print. Uh, we talked, touched on that earlier, just about changing the narrative or expanding the narrative um, that has kind of like, you know, had a had a cloud over us for some time. So that is inspiring in itself. And I just always love, love to be paired uh, with, with great people that are uh, doing great things. So thank you all for having me and uh, pairing me up with Shannon. I mean, this is a, <laughs> a great opportunity for me, too. We got to, you know, continue to have conversations like this and keep connecting people. I think that's what really helps to move everything forward. Yes, that's exactly what it's all about. That's what this podcast is about as well. Brilliant. Well, look, and, and thank you to everyone who's tuned in as well for connecting yourself to us today. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, do not forget to rate the podcast, share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you haven't already, make sure you become a Diageo Bar Academy member. Head over to diageobaracademy.com for the latest industry news, events and inspiration. And subscribe to get it emailed to you. Until next time.